And welcome back to Superhero Cinema, the weekly show about superheroes on TV, in the movies, and in comic books. I'm Michael. I'm Jefferson. And I'm Jonathan. And this is issue number four for the last week in March 2007. Here are some notes, corrections from last week's show. Uh, first was that I, I know this to be the case. I, I knew it going in, but I still made the mistake when talking about Shazam as as a movie, as a comic book, as as a series of books. Captain Marvel is the guy. Shazam is what he says. Shazam is the name of the book. There's, there's actually some background on that. I, I know at least twice during talking about it, I referred to the guy as Shazam, and I know that the guy is Captain Marvel. The the book was originally – the character was always Captain Marvel back when he was created in the 40s. The rights for the character uh, kind of disappeared for a couple of years. The company that owned the character went bankrupt. And in the 60s, the, the actual copyright to the character lapsed. And that's when Marvel came out with their Captain Marvel character. And at that point, they had the copyright on that. In the 70s, when DC acquired the rights to the Captain Marvel family of characters and they wanted to start – doing books on it and they did a TV show, they had to call the books Shazam because they couldn't use the name Captain Marvel as the title of a book. It wasn't Shazam actually the name of the wizard who gives him his powers? That's correct. It's an acronym too, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, something. Off the top of my head, I I can't do all seven letters of it, but it does stand for uh, basically old Greek characters. It's like Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, Mercury. I actually guess I could do it off the top of my head. Wow, there you go. Uh, number two, we talked about two DVD sets that are coming out this summer. The uh, Batman animated series, The New Adventures of Batman from 1977, and The New Adventures of Superman animated series from 1966. And I was asked uh, how many episodes there were, and I didn't know, so I looked that up. Uh, the Batman series was 16 half hours. Um, each half hour had three different episodes in it. This was back when they didn't do an entire episode of a cartoon as 30 minutes they did three segments in a 30 minute period so basically three eight minute stories so it'd basically be 48 uh stories in in 16 half hours and same thing with superman that was 36 half hours so were kids back then do they have a shorter attention span is that what it is yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure if the kids had shorter attention spans or or the writer's didn't want to do longer form kind of stories. They they stuck to eight minute short stories. Well, it was Less probably also an attempt to uh, reflect how the comics were at that time. They would have there would be a couple of short stories in each issue rather than than one long issue length story usually. True. Yeah, you would probably get several several stories into one book. At least in the sixties, not so much in the seventies. And then uh, Jefferson was talking about a couple comics uh, graphic novels that he had been interested in that were getting made into movies, and I looked up some additional information on that. Whiteout is actually quite a bit f- past the option stage. Uh, it actually the it was bought by Joel Silver's Dark Castle Entertainment, uh, which operates under Warner Brothers, and it actually goes into production this month in Montreal. Uh, Kate Beckinsale is starring in the film. It's directed by Dominic Senna, who directed Gone in 60 Seconds and Swordfish. So that one's actually pretty far along. They're, they're going to start shooting towards the end. Well, I guess it is the end of the month, so they probably started shooting this week. Any other casting that you know of? Uh, there were a couple names that I didn't quite recognize, uh, but definitely Kate Beckinsale was, was the biggest name in there. Look forward to seeing it anyway. And the other one was The Surrogates. Um, that was just optioned by Disney. Um, the intention is for it to be directed by Jonathan Mostow, who directed T- uh, Terminator 3. Uh, he's using the same screenwriters that he used on that film, are working on a script for it. Uh, but in the meantime, while that is 
you know, in way, way pre-production at this point. Uh, he's still writing a script for Submariner that he's actually been working on for a couple of years now. So that may be our next story <laughs> of someone who's been working on a script for a long time and it never ends up happening. Uh, one other thing we talked about with the Superman animated series from the 60s, uh, we, we talked about who actually was playing Superman, and I did uh, double-check, and it was Bud Collier, who uh, did play Superman in the ra- on the radio from the 40s on. He played Superman, the voice of Superman, in the Fleischer cartoons in the 40s, and he continued playing Superman all the way through the 1966 animated series. So for a very long time, with the exception of George Reeves, pretty much Bud Collier was the voice of, of Superman. He was people's idea of Superman for a very long time. Which is interesting, because he didn't want the job in the first place. His, I guess his agents or his management pushed pressured him into it. He didn't. He thought it was stupid, and he didn't want to do it. Interesting. He ended up making a career out of it. Yeah, he he did it for over twenty years. Uh, one of the things I thought interesting, we talked about the fact that a lot of the Superman conventions, the things that we think of as the normal Superman things, actually came from the radio series, and and most of them came from practicality and not from actual story ideas. One thing that I found when looking this up that I thought was very interesting is how kryptonite was created. Kryptonite as a substance for Superman to be a weakness that that made him actually have to stay away was created to be used as a plot device in stories when they weren't going to be able to have Superman in the story. They would they would come up with some excuse that Kryptonite was around and Superman wouldn't be able to be around, and all of that was to cover up whenever Bud Collier wanted to take a break. Yeah, he could take a vacation and Lois and Jimmy could solve the mystery that week. Exactly. <laughs> and the last thing in terms of uh, things we talked about last week, just following up, uh, we talked about the Wonder Woman project and uh, the fact that Joss Whedon is no longer working on it and the fact that uh, they, that Joel Silver, who is also producing that, uh, had just recently, the same time that Joss Whedon left the project, had bought another script that had been going around Hollywood about Wonder Woman that was set in World War II. Um, we we knew that he wasn't planning on doing it as a World War II film, and he had the Joss Whedon script, so we kind of speculated, not being sure why. Uh, here's what he actually had to say about it. This was a quote from, from uh, Joel Silver this week. That script came about. Uh, it had nothing to do with it. It had some great ideas, but I didn't want it floating around, and we just took it off the market. It was a period movie, and I really didn't want to do that. So basically what I get from that is that there were some interesting elements in the spec script for Wonder Woman that was going around that either may have been things that they read and decided they wanted to use or more likely things that they already had involved in their script and they wanted to get it off the market just so other people weren't reading the script and and just weren't getting those ideas kind of out there in the marketplace. Probably avoiding a later possible lawsuit too. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure if it could have been a lawsuit. I mean, I guess it could have been, but I think probably more to just you know not have it out there, not have people be able to be reading it. That kind of flows along with what we were talking about last week too, about how it's tough to do period movies. It's not exactly popular. It's not in vogue right now to do period movies. They kind of update them a little bit for uh, for modern audiences nope, usually. And I know that they had done that with the Wonder Woman series back in the '70s. The first season took place in World War II, and then when they did seasons two and three, they brought her back into a, the modern '70s. Did they explain the difference between the two seasons? Um, they actually did. the The second season actually starts with another. the The first season started with a two hour movie, the actual pilot movie that that established her origin and and got her into into the into America and everything. The second season did the exact same thing. It started with another two hour movie in which the descendant of Steve Trevor lands on on Amazon Island again, or Para, Paradise Island again, and the same Wonder Woman leaves with him to come back to America again, but establish that she is the same Wonder Woman who was around in the time of his father. Pretty much what they do in the comics. Every uh, every time they want to reset the character, that's pretty much the story that they do. Pretty similar. 
they always have. It's the same Wonder Woman, but now it's a new time period. Uh, another interesting quote I thought from from this quote from Joel Silver. He talked about just the the various projects that he's got going on right now. That there are quite a few uh, comic book related. Uh, things that he's working on and he was just talking about how long it takes to uh, get it made and he was just confirming that Wonder Woman is still is still progressing it is still getting made even without Joss Whedon the pro- the the process goes forward and this was kind of his justification to say you know don't start freaking out just because there's been some changes uh, Wonder Woman is a Warner Brothers picture and when we figure that out we'll make and when we figure that out we'll make it work Silver explains it took me 11 years to put Speed Racer together and it took me 8 to 10 years to do V for Vendetta and these things don't happen quickly now Wonder Woman has been 7 years Sometimes they come in there very quickly, and sometimes they don't. I want to make the right move on this movie, and I think if we do it right, we can. I just couldn't get there. Basically saying, you know, it, it, it takes some years to put these things together to make them right. You know, V for Vendetta worked. Speed Racer is just now coming together. However long it takes Wonder Woman is how long it'll take. Well, better that than for them to rush it to the screen and do a lousy job, I suppose. That's it for our rehash of last week. Now let's get on to some new stuff. Let's talk some news. You can always get additional info and links to these stories on our website, SuperheroCinema.com. The front page of the site will always keep you updated on the latest info about superhero movies and TV shows from all over the web. So for our first story of the week, uh, we had some more box office, and this is great. I mean, I love weeks where we've got a lot of superhero movies, a lot of comic book movies coming out. So box office is a factor. I mean, I know at some point we'll probably go for months at a time where we won't be able to talk about that. So it's great to be able to talk about three different comic book-related films, all no longer in the top ten but in the top 15 at this point. So the biggest, obviously, was uh, TMNT coming out on Friday. It uh, took the first place in the box office with $25 million, uh, which is a great opening for it. It basically tied what the original films had done back in the 80s. So it's, it's definitely considered a success for starting that film franchise up again. And also uh, 300 it still came in at number two this week with $20 million. That takes it up to $162 million so far, a huge success. And it's interesting that the the top two uh, films in Hollywood this week are both inspired by Frank Miller in one way or another. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles started out as a parody of Frank Miller's work on Daredevil. Interesting. They were a parody of, yeah, they were a parody of uh, Marvel's comics at the time in general and specifically of Miller's approach to Daredevil. They were drawn in kind of a faux Miller style. Their origin, if you've ever read their original origin story, it links in with Daredevil's origin story. Daredevil's origin is that he's hit in the face with a radioactive isotope that falls out of a truck. And the turtle's origin story is that that isotope then smashes into a a jar of some kid's little pet turtles. That's right. I remember that. I I forgot about that. That was supposed to be the same canister of radioactive waste. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. And, And they were just, you know, the original black and white comics were just very, very obviously parodies of, of Miller's work, so it's kind of fun that Miller is now inspiring all of this. Uh, you know, regardless of all the nasty things we usually say about Frank <laughs> Miller on this podcast, it's fun that he, he's inspired the top two movies this week. Oh, I, I love Miller's work. I mean, you know, our speculation was, was less about his work than about himself and about some of the themes in his work, but I mean, definitely, you know, love The Dark Knight Returns, you know, love 300. You know, he loved the original Daredevil work that he did. Yeah, his run on Daredevil was excellent. A lot of the stuff that he's done has been excellent. It's true. So also in the box office, I found this very interesting that, that Wild Hogs I, – I don't know if anyone has seen that. I, I kind of hope not. Uh, Wild, Hog, <laughs> Wild Hogs came in number two. The first two weeks of 300 was out, and it's now come out number four. And 
it, it the this actually came from box office results. It came from theater owners who reported that a lot of the box office for Wild Hogs was from kids under the age of seventeen coming in to paying to see Wild Hogs and then sneaking into three hundred. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So three hundred actually did better than it even seemed to do because if you take the box office from Wild Hogs and assume that no one actually wanted to see that film, <laughs> then it makes the total for three hundred even bigger. At least we, we desperately want to assume that nobody wanted to see that film. I totally did that when I was a kid. Yeah, I bought yeah. some ticket for some other movie. Went and saw Predator 2. Heck yeah. I know I did the same thing. I don't think I, don't think I ever had to, but I would have if I'd had to. Um, and still in the in the not in the top ten, it was in the top fifteen this week. It uh, was Ghost Rider. Its uh, total now comes to 113 million, which which definitely uh, is probably going to warrant a sequel on that one. Mm, I don't know if that's a good idea or not, but I haven't seen the movie yet, so I can't really comment. And I know you saw TMNT this weekend. I did see TMNT this weekend, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was a great little movie. It was uh, the animation was incredible. It was very well done for for being something entirely computer animated. Um, I thought it was neat that the story didn't it didn't try to restart the characters. It didn't tell the origin story over again. It just basically you know I didn't really follow the stuff that was going on in the '90s with the cartoon show and the live action movies. I read the original black and white comics, and then I just kind of stopped. But I kind of got the sense that the the new movie was just sort of picking up where the stuff from the 90s left off. You know, they still uh, looked like they uh, did with the different colored uh, masks that they didn't have in the original comics. But they did, they just sort of, they picked it up. You know, they didn't retell anything. They pretty much assumed that the audience already knew more or less who the characters are and what their deal is. And it's just a new story with those characters. I like that too. I thought that was, yeah, I thought that was a great approach, you know, because so often they just, they beat us to death with the origin story. They make us listen to it over and over and over again. It was nice to just get on with it and just get an entertaining story featuring the characters. Yeah, I like that as well. I like the fact that they assume that you'd either seen the animated series or you've seen the live action movies, and you know, so you know who these characters are, and you could just move on from there. And I, it doesn't really matter, you know. The characters are pretty pretty easy to explain. It's not not a challenging backstory. Yeah, they did it in the first thirty seconds in voiceover of the film. Well, plus, the name kind of says it all, there, doesn't it? Teenage yeah, Mutant does. Ninja Turtles, right? <laughs> Although what they didn't TNT? use the name, they just used TMNT. They assume that you so even the know story, that. So the story made sense? Uh, totally, yeah. I, I, what I liked was the fact that it was above the level of the cartoon. It was definitely not aimed at, at you know being kind of jokey, dumb kind of kid stuff, but didn't go too far over in, in terms of you know being too much or, or you know as serious as the comic or anything like that it, it was just at just about a right level i mean it was it was still closer to the comedy side but just enough you know just far enough away from it that it didn't you didn't hate it for it it wasn't yeah, camp you, right it wasn't camp well not not any more than just the idea of some some giant mutant turtles sure it one, could be it's got to have a little bit that, of camp yeah. there Oh good. Um, yeah, I agree completely. I enjoyed the movie, and I thought the animation was incredible. Um, there's one scene in the film. Uh, I won't go into too much detail, but uh, two of the characters are on a rooftop in the rain, having a fight, and just the animation during that scene with the rain pouring on them was just incredible. I was, I'm not usually that impressed by computer animation, but but that the the movie in general and that scene in particular really technically impressed me. I had one complaint with the animation, and I've seen this in other CGI films. Why does April's waist have to be the the diameter of of a Q-tip? That's because the character designers are all uh, twenty year old boys. 
Yeah, but no one looks like that. That's that's not even like trying to depict a realistic person in in any sense. I mean, you know, it, it could have had at least a little bit more nor- normality to it. You know? yeah. No, I I agree, but yeah, you know, it's just a, it was just, just so sc- it was just so tiny uh, of a waste. I just it just kind of threw things for me. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember noticing that in the film too. Going, boy, she is really really skinny, even for a cartoon character. And and uh, I have not seen the more recent the '90s animated uh, animated series, so I was a little confused by the fact that she's no longer a newspaper reporter. Now she's like a globe trotting archaeologist business well, person. I think, I think she's she's really whatever they need for the plot. You know, for the plot of this movie they needed her to be a globe trotting businesswoman. But it really I mean it what does it matter what April O'Neill does for a living? I don't think it does. I think she's there to be the character that the the turtles can talk to. She's there to be the human character in the story. I guess. She's there to move the plot along is her function in the in the story. So a detail like what she does for a living doesn't really I don't think it really matters very much. Too. It's not like we really get back to any of that sexist themes that we cover in previous podcasts, but yeah, no, well, no, she's kind of not essential. Well, no, she is essential. That's what I'm. Oh, saying. really? Okay, good. She's an essential part of the story, but it, the details of her don't really matter very much. What matters is that she's this sort of nice, sympathetic character that that all the different turtles can talk to, and it gives gives the the writers a chance to do exposition because that's how you, if you're writing well, that's how you do exposition in a story is you do it by the, having the characters talk to each other. Well, just to cover the sexist scandal, they they used Casey Jones the exact same way. Basically, yeah, exactly. both characters were oh, interchangeable yeah. in that regard. But they weren't very important to the story. They weren't just no. tacked on. Although they did have their own little subplot. Yeah. So uh, following up on TMNT, the creators of this film, uh, Magi Studios, and the director, Kevin Monroe, are already working on their next project. Um, this one's based on an anime, uh, Gotcha Man, which uh, was around in the 70s in the U.S. as Battle of the Planets. I found it funny that pretty much every story that I read talking about this, the the writer of the story, even knowing that this was not the name of the characters in Gotcha Man, referred to the characters by their names that they used in Battle of the Planets. Sure. Well, so many of us grew up with that was one of the the formative uh, cartoons. You know, I remember loving that show when I was a kid, and it was one of the first. Uh, it probably wasn't the first, but it was, I think it was one of the one first, of the first anime, anime yep. to make it over here and to get dubbed yep. over here. Yeah, it's still one of the few that I actually like. So he he was going around uh, in interviews for TMNT, showing production work on it, uh, showing some. Not they didn't have any footage yet, but he was showing some test anim- uh, animation cells and and drawings and artwork for it. Um, their next project after that will be Astro Boy. Uh, this goes all the way back to the 50s and actually is the very first anime. It was it was the first Japanese science fiction related animation that was ever produced was was Astro Boy. Yeah, based on a long running Japanese comic manga, as, as yeah. most as most Japanese anime is. So that, those are their next projects. Uh, looking so forward those to will them. be done. Those will be done in a 3D. It'll be the exact same. Yep, exact same way that uh, Turtles was done. Yeah, that, that sounds interesting. I mean, I'm I'm not a huge fan of anime in general, but I like the idea of taking characters and and presenting them in a different way. And maybe that'll do that. You know, you'll get rather than the flat 2D animation that is the standard Japanese style, you'll get the more 3D look to them. That could be interesting to look at at least. So uh, there was also another Spider-Man trailer that came out on Friday. Uh, this has actually been referred to. They refer to it as the final Spider-Man trailer. It's the or it's the third Spider-Man trailer. It's also how they referred to it. It actually came out on a Comcast website, and uh, it was it, was, it uh, kicked butt. <laughs> I basically I, I watched it and I went, okay, that's that's a trailer. That that uh, yeah. <laughs> that left you going whoa. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's the website Spider-Man3OnComcast.com. And, uh, yeah, they got uh, two quality files there, a high-res and the super high-res, I guess. Because it took, it took like, my, my computer, like, 20 minutes to download this three-minute trailer. I was like, holy cow. The thing is, it, it used primarily mostly footage that we'd already been seeing over the last couple of weeks in the commercial that ran with Heroes and the seven-minute footage that ran on the web afterwards. We, we'd seen most of the scenes in there. It was the way they put it together, the way they, pa- the way they paced it, that just, for me, kind of had me on the edge of my seat looking at my computer screen. Yeah, I think they're, are they, I think they're running that final trailer in theaters, too, or it was similar to... One, yeah, there was a Spider-Man trailer on on TMNT when I saw it, and that sounds like it was the same one. Mm, yeah, when I saw TMNT, it actually was one of the previous ones, so oh, it, okay. it it is the newer one. And I was surprised. I mean, they they had lots of shots of of Venom there. I mean, he was practically half the trailer, but poor Sandman. I mean, he gets relegated. Yeah, there was to one, one shot of Sandman in the entire quick trailer, shot. Yeah. which which definitely changed the proportion of of what it looked like for a Sandman story versus Venom story. I, I think so. I I think that was probably always the case. I suspect Sandman will be a a minor, you know, somebody to get in Peter Parker's way while he's trying to solve the big problem. Kind right, of he's a catalyst for something else going on in the movie. Yeah, or just just some something there to just make because Peter Parker's life needs to be even more difficult than it already is. So that's what. Yeah, he needs to have more him. trouble with Mary Jane and right. Exactly. Poor Peter Parker. So moving on from that to Transformers, which we talked a little bit about last week, about uh, how worried we were about how it might go. They did actually start announcing casting for the robots. And uh, so far, I mean, I think they're actually doing good. I like the voices that they're naming. I think uh, it'll be it'll make it exciting, the fact that they actually are picking actors who should be interesting in the roles as the voices. Um, Hugo Weaving from V, uh, The Matrix. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, yep. Elrond is going to be Megatron. Well, that ought to be fun. I think he showed in uh, V that he can do a great job acting with his voice. There was some uh, worry about that. People had really wanted to see Frank Welker back in the role, who, who had done the role in the original animated series. And some reports that I read said it came down to those two. And then they just ended up deciding to go with, with the actor that they liked better. So uh, Frank Welker is not currently in it as Megatron. He may still play one of the other voices. Um, the one thing that they did do, and this was a huge thing, uh, one of the few times I've seen that, that studios really did respond to the internet, is when Transformers first started getting advertised, when they first started having the posters and the first really brief teaser last summer already, uh, the first thing people were asking about or the biggest internet outcry was that they make sure that Peter Cullen, the original voice of Optimus Prime, still play Optimus Prime. And they left people in, in uh, suspense on that for a long time and then finally did announce that, that they did cast him. Uh, they actually used his voice in one of the trailers uh, just to to kind of assuage people's concerns about that, that the original voice of Prime is, is back. Oh, Good, because he, he is the voice of Prime. Yeah, yeah, I could not imagine anyone else doing it. And also, just today, they announced that uh, Keith David, who uh, was the voice of Spawn in Spawn Animated Series, um, he's done many, many movies, uh, both voice work and uh, regular work, um, he's going to be playing Barricade, who's one of the Decepticons. Yeah, also, I saw some images from it on the web today, and uh, I like one, one of my most favorite ones was... Uh, I think it's on like a Transformers MySpace or something where you can see 
profile shots of both Megatron and Optimus Prime, so that was kind of neat. Yeah, that's where they've been releasing a lot of this info, is is a new MySpace page that they created for the film that actually has the one-sheets, which are the posters that you see in movie theaters. It has them on, on the MySpace page of one is, you know, of, of the auto of Optimus and one is of Megatron, and kind of having you pick a side, and I guess on the on the MySpace page, you get to do a little kind of interactive thing where you, you pick a side to be on. Yeah, and Optimus looks like Optimus's face. He's got the blue thing over his mouth, but, you know, I totally did not recognize Megatron. Maybe it's just me. But... Yeah, they've definitely changed the look of Megatron quite significantly. Yeah, he's more angular and non-cartoony. <laughs> well, like, uh, as we said last week, I mean, we hope for the best. I mean, I, you know, they still haven't really shown any really good footage of the, of the uh, Transformers themselves, but... You know, that may just be because they're, they're saving it. They, they want you know, all those surprises to be there once you've paid your money. Yeah, unlike Spider-Man 3 so far, apparently. I don't know if there's going to be like five trailers for Transformers here. Yeah. Right, that's, yeah, that's the opposite worry. Is you, when the trailers look so good, can the movie live up to the trailers at that point? And uh, one film that we talked about about two weeks ago, and we just talked about it earlier, uh, Joel Silver also producing this, is Speed Racer. Uh, the Wachowski brothers uh, from the Matrix trilogy are directing this, and they have cast their Speed Racer. It's uh, Emil Hirsch who uh, starred in the film The Girl Next Door. Um, he actually uh, put out a video. I don't know actually where the video originated, but it's him talking about actually having gotten the role and talking about being Speed Racer and that you know on the way home from each of the casting sessions, he would get behind the wheel and start feeling like Speed. <laughs> well, way, to, way to get into the part before you got it, I guess. Um, also, some more DVD releases. Uh, Birdman and Space Ghost are out on DVD July 17th. These are the complete series of those shows. Now, this is not Space Ghost Coast to Coast. This is not Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. These are the original series that inspired those series. Um, the original Birdman and Space Ghost. Uh, the 20 episodes each. And uh, I don't know that, that the studio planned it this way, but, they're, but they are actually coming out on the one-year anniversary of Alex Toth's death. death. Uh, Alex Toth is the artist uh, who actually created both of those characters, um, well-known comics artist, well-known animation artist. Well, it'll be interesting to see the uh, original shows after all this time. It'll be interesting to see if, if uh, there's a newer audience for them, because so many people only know Space Ghost from the Coast to Coast show. And from the the late night Cartoon Network stuff, and not not as a show, as a I hesitate to use the word serious, but as a, a straight adventure show that it was when it came on originally. Yeah, because I've only seen the coast to coast. I hate to admit, so yeah, this will be a weird transition for me to watch those. And one last item on uh, new things for this week. This falls firmly in the category of why are they doing this, and was anyone really waiting for this to happen? Back in the 90s, there was a series of reality specials, if you remember, called Breaking the Magician's Code. They did like five of them. It was where a masked magician came out and showed you how tricks were done. And the idea was that he was hiding his identity because he was worried for his safety and worried for the safety of his family that magicians would come after him because he was revealing their tricks. Um, eventually, I believe the last of the specials was him revealing his himself, and it was a magician that no one had ever heard of. I don't know if magicians knew who he was, but regular people really didn't, and they did really well for a first couple times, and then the last couple ones no one cared anymore, and they just kind of went away. Well, now the studio who produced those are now creating the Masked Magician graphic novel. They're actually going to do the character as a fictional character, create a backstory for him, have him have adventures in the graphic novel with the intention and hope of getting movies out of it. Why? 
<laughs> Why indeed, but one interesting thing about this project, maybe the only interesting thing about this project, is that it's uh, Virgin Comics doing the graphic novel. That's who they're working with. Uh, Virgin's mm -hmm. a fairly new comics publisher. They're, they're spawned from the Virgin multimedia empire that's based in England. But they have a lot of strong ties to Hollywood already, actually. They, uh, they just hit last year with a bunch of uh, titles that um, are, in, of course, all in various stages of development as films right now. The one that looks like it's actually going to be made is one called The Sad Who, which is about a, a man in the 1850s who goes to India and learns how to become a sorcerer, and they've got Nicolas Cage attached to that. Uh, they've also got a line, one line of comics, one of their little sub-lines of comics, called they call it the Director's Cut line, and what they do is they get Hollywood directors to create characters for them, and then they publish comics about them. They've done one with John Woo called Seven Brothers, and uh, there's one with Guy Ritchie, director of Snatch and Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, uh, coming out. Next, I believe the first issue comes out next month. And they do have another series uh, coming out soon called Enigma that's uh, written by uh, or created by uh, Nicolas Cage and his 14-year-old son, West. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So they have some strong ties to Hollywood because of this stuff and also because they are part of the big virgin multimedia empire. I still won't buy The Masked Magician. No, and then I don't blame you for not buying, and I won't either. But the uh, at least the 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 comic publisher that's going to be developing it is, is a company that's that they're putting out some quality comics right now, and they do have some strong ties to Hollywood. So, uh, it, in any case, Virgin Comics will be a, a publisher to keep an eye on. Okay, that's that's interesting. Yeah, definitely could result in a lot more you know comic book to movie things coming out. Yeah, exactly. And uh, as I said, they, they, they're doing it the other direction, too. They're trying to interest uh, film talent in uh, making comics as well. And so far, the only one of those that's come out so far is the John Woo one, which was pretty good. So uh, hopefully they'll keep it up and they'll keep, keep approaching interesting uh, people in the film world to do uh, comics. Well, now let's get on the rumor treadmill, our newest segment, uh, where we discuss casting and other information that hasn't been verified yet but might be of interest to people. So the first rumor item this week uh, is kind of a follow-up to a rumor item from last week. We talked about the actor Alan Dale, who's uh, appeared a lot on television, on Lost, on 24, on Ugly Betty, a lot of other series, uh, that he was rumored to have the part of Boss Maroney in The Dark Knight. That since has been uh, discounted that he's not in the film at all. Uh, he's quoted as saying that they haven't even approached him. Now, do we know is Boss Maroney even a character in the movie The Dark Knight? No, we never knew that for a fact. Okay, that, that yeah, is... that was one thing that kind of shot that rumor down for me was that they just seemed to be kind of picking actors who look like various random characters from the the, com the recent comics. And, right. Uh, oh, yeah, maybe they'll be in it as this character. Right, and it was a character that we knew is a possibility just because of the inclusion of Harvey Dent, but there's certainly been no casting notices for that role yet. And a lot of times, a lot of things that are past rumor come out because of casting notices, because they have to actually put out the word in like the trade papers and things like that to cast some of these roles. And so when, they de when they're described or when the characters are named, you know then that that character is going to be in the film. But uh, if that hasn't happened and if they haven't announced anyone or you know, it's not definitely specific to the story that that character would have to be in it, it's, it's not a definite thing at that point. Yeah, just speculation. 
So one character that we know will have to be in the film, which is uh, Rorschach in Watchmen. Uh, this there was some. I wouldn't even necessarily call this rumor. I would call this talk. There, this is just on the list of people that people talked about as thinking would be interesting because they're in the news and they might work for that part. Um, actually, someone who had previously been rumored for Rorschach was Simon Pegg uh, from Shaun of the Dead, and uh, that's actually been a while since that was around. So I, I don't know that anything's happened with that, or if they've even talked to him. But the newest one is Jackie Earl Haley, um, and I find that interesting just because he's kind of now having a career resurgence uh, from last year's uh, film Little Children. He actually got an Oscar nomination, but uh, that was after his career kind of stalling for about 20 years. Most people uh, still remembered him for uh, the film uh, Bad News Bears and for Breaking Away, which I was actually huge fans of that, and I was a huge fan of his, and, and I like the fact that he's come back now, and I actually think he could make a really good Rorschach, which is not to say that anyone's even discussed it with him or it's even a possibility. I'm just kind of agreeing with the internet discussion that I think he would be great. Yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't followed his career as much, but I did read up a little bit on him, and he certainly he certainly could be made to look the part. And if he's a good actor, then, of course, he can act the part. Too bad that the Simon Pegg rumor got shot down. I think that might be interesting. Well, I don't know that it's been shot down. I don't, I don't know that it... it that it even happened it enough happened for it to, to have not happened, that you know, it may, may still be in the works. They may still be talking to him. He may be the front runner for it. We just don't know. Yeah, I think he might be a little bit too young to play the part, but I think that all the time. I always complain about actors being too young to play the characters that they cast. So. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think uh, Rorschach's about when it is, uh, looks like he's in his mid-30s, late-30s. Hey, watch it. I'm in my mid to late. Yeah, man, that's old. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... I the thing, the thing to watch will be whoever they announce first. Whoever they announce first as an actual casting for this film will kind of give an indication of where they're going to go, what kind of age range they're going to go, what types of actors they're going to go with. That that will give us a lot more indication about what the thinking behind the casting will be on this. But as of the moment, there's there's not a single announced cast person for it yet. I think you're right. I think, and I think it will be. That'll be the interesting thing to me is not so much who they're casting as whether they're going to go with movie stars or less well-known, you know, whether, whether he's going to do what he did with 300, which was to cast, you know, relatively unknown actors. Well, we know he is going with a bigger budget. I mean, I think that's actually still a fight with Warner brothers right now. He this is rumor. Of course he wants 150 million. Warner brothers wants to do it for a hundred million. Casting will definitely have a big part in that. Um, we know that he talked to Tom Cruise. That's, that's a one definite. Um, so he, he did see that as a possibility, but it didn't work out. Um, similar line on that. Uh, this is actually a kind of interesting side note on it is, uh, Jude law is a huge fan of Watchmen. He actually has a Rorschach tattoo, uh, the, the distinct pattern of Rorschach's mask as a tattoo. And uh, it was rumored for a long time that he was very interested in playing Ozymandias. And well, I guess we'll find out how interested. Yeah, I, I, I would like to see, I'd like to see him, him approach it like he did with, with 300 and, and cast cheaper actors so that even, especially if he gets less money, I'd like to see more of the money on screen and not tied up in actors' talents. Plus, I think with, with the, I mean, The Watchmen is a really immersive story and it'll, it, it takes you out of the story a little bit when you're watching a movie star. You know, it's really hard to look at Tom Cruise and not think he's Tom Cruise. That's always the debate on any recognizable actor playing, you know, a part like this. That where the character has a built-in history and the actor has a built-in history, and even if they mesh, they they kind of still collide with each other. You know, do you look at the character and you think, you know, that actor, or do you look at the character and think that character? I mean, that was definitely the the great stroke with with 
twice now casting on Superman was casting someone that people didn't have a preconceived notion about in that role, and it worked perfectly. And I think um, more and more maybe uh, it's being proven that you don't necessarily for – for a comic book movie, for a, a movie based on something with a previous history, you don't really need to spend money on a star. You know, these movies seem to do fine without big stars in them. So I would, I hope that that influences their thinking a little bit. We'll, uh, I guess we'll find out. So this one is interesting. It actually combines two of the things we're talking about, which is uh, casting notices and people actually being cast. Uh, one of the actors that had been cast in Iron Man, and this is definite, they, they'd announced it a month, a month ago, he was on the cast list, was Sean Tube. Um, who has done a lot of television work. Um, he's of Persian heritage. Uh, he's raised in England. He's one of those actors that you'd recognize because you've seen him on television, but he in and of himself is not a big name or, or a main recognizable actor. Um, but they didn't announce at the time what part he was playing, but they have also said all along that the Mandarin would be the villain. So the kind of supposition right now, I mean, they actually did put the casting notice and did describe the character, but didn't describe his ethnicity. Now, obviously, with the name Mandarin, you kind of assumed he would be of Chinese descent. But uh, the rumor right now is that that's who he's playing in the film. Oh, I guess the character doesn't necessarily need to be of Chinese descent. Yeah, you'd assume that from the name. but Yeah, I mean, Mandarin does refer to China. Mm-hmm. It does. But yeah, yeah. maybe... Maybe taking a little bit of a creative license here. They may go with the thought that no one in America will know that. Or care. It's close enough. Yeah. Uh, uh, honestly, I mean, looking at his picture and looking at his list of credits, I kind of remembered who the actor is. He seemed very interesting to me. And if he does a good part, I mean, if he acts it well, if, if it's very strong, very menacing, if he nails the character however it's written, then I don't care what ethnicity he is. Yeah, I agree completely. It doesn't really matter as long as he plays a good, engaging character. This is under uh, people who are probably going to be in it but just haven't signed on the dotted line yet. Uh, Johnny Depp and Antonio Banderas for Sin City 2. Uh, Robert Rodriguez was quoted as saying he's based, he's talked to both of them. Uh, he knows both of them. He's friends with both of them. He's worked with them before. Uh, he's asked them to do it. They have not signed, so it's not 100% definite. But pretty much if he's saying he's talked to them and he thinks that they're going to be in it, most likely they're going to be in it. Yeah, I imagine they will. I mean, he's... He runs such an efficient operation in his little movie factory down in uh, Texas that he can he can pretty much get anybody to commit to being in one of his films because they don't have to make a large time commitment. He's able to to shoot because of the methods, the digital methods that he uses to shoot. He's able to shoot so efficiently, and you make so much efficient use of, of people's time that you know he can probably if Johnny Depp's going to play one of the major characters in the film, he can probably go down for two weeks and he'll be done. And that's really what a lot of it comes down to. You would think more of the time it would be money, but a lot of the time it's schedule, especially when an actor is in demand. If it's something that they're interested in, if it's something that kind of piques their fan, you know, tickles their fancy, that's something that they want to be in, then they'll try to figure out a way to do it, you know, regardless of the money. But a lot of times it'll come down to scheduling. Can they do it and then still have their other big ticket project that will pay their bills? Yeah, I think, and I think a lot of actors probably would be interested in being in Sin City after after seeing the first one and you know the unusual look of it. And, you know, yeah, it and seems a like a, of, a fun actors kind of movie there. Yeah, a lot of, in a lot of cases they they went that extra mile to really make the actors look like the way Frank Miller draws the characters, and I think a lot of actors find that sort of thing fun and different. And so I'm sure they they're looking at it as more of a, a fun thing to do than a job. And I do know that uh, Miller said that he was actually writing a new story for the for Sin City too. It was going to be based partially on one of the the comics, and then the rest of it was going to be a new story. So as far as what characters they would be, it could be anybody. 
So uh, moving on to another rumor from this week. Um, this one, uh, you know, it sounds like it could be a good possibility just because it's another situation where the actors work with the director before. Um, you know, he's expressed interest in it. Uh, this is Matthew Modine uh, appearing in The Hulk. Now, in, in no way kind of offered any details as to who he might play, but it was basically a quote from him talking in an interview, essentially saying that he had worked with the director of The Hulk, who is uh, Louis Leterrier, who uh, directed The Transporter. He'd worked with him. Matthew Modine had been in that film as well and basically saying that his next project was something that he was going to be working with him and it would involve something big and green so you do the math from there yeah that uh, not very <laughs> subtle is it yeah it does, again it, does, it didn't say anything about who he might be playing so we have no idea you know definitely didn't say he's going to be bruce banner well, we don't have really have any details about content for the hulk anyway yet, yeah like, that's we obviously. really have no direction on it other than all the debate and all the discussion back and forth about would it continue from the previous film? Would it be a complete reboot? And there still aren't any details because we, we still don't know for, for a fact that the script has been completely worked out. I think they should be pretty close. I mean, this is one where they're, where they're really, you know, they're, they're just probably weeks or months away from announcing casting. And I, I believe they scouted the location. So I think they've got their shooting date planned out for the summer. So we should start getting details on this pretty soon. Um, but it, 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 we haven't gotten any full kind of, you know, definition of where the direction is. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be a direct continuation of the previous film. Definitely not in terms of style and tone. They have said straight up front that they, it will be much more of an action story. That uh, the abomination will be the villain, and that uh, style wise and feeling wise, it will. Yeah, we do. We do know that much. That that has been talked about by some of the executives at Marvel. That that the abomination will be the villain, and that it'll be much more action oriented. Let's all cross our fingers for the style of movie that we like for the sequels, where it's not a retelling of the origin, and just and pick right up and go. Exactly. I mean, I think they can kind of use it that way to say they don't need to do an origin story. They already did in the first one. You know, despite anything else you think about the first one, it at least kind of established, okay, he's a guy, he turns into the Hulk, continue. And uh, yeah, and, and yeah, it doesn't really need that. The Hulk is such a, a simple character, and he's such a well-known character. Even people who have never read the comic book will know basically who he is and how he works, you know, from vague memories of the the '70s television series, or just from him kind of being ingrained on the collective consciousness. I don't really think you need to explain him. I mean, they yeah, and he was in the Simpsons too. Come on, Homer turned into the Hulk. Don't make Hulk yeah. angry. Sure, and that's that's a that's a perfect perfect sort of watermark of how little uh, you need to explain a character. You know how much the the general public already understands the character. Well, like we were talking with the turtles. I mean, you've got that built-in thing. Kids know it because they've seen the animated series. Adults know it because they've seen the earlier animated series and they've seen the earlier films. So, you, so you don't need to start off with an origin story and you know kill three quarters of your film with with your main character not being your main character yet. Exactly. So it should, in theory, it should make for a better film. We'll see. So our next story is actually a response to an email. We've we've gotten another one. Uh, this is from Jared from Pensacola, Florida, and uh, Jared writes. I love your show. It is very informative about the latest news about superheroes, so keep up the good work. And I had a question. Who the heck is Morlin? Because he is rumored to be the Spider-Man 4 villain. Uh, so <laughs> first, let's kind of – First, let's kind of clarify that Spider-Man 4 is so far away from being a reality that, that any kind of discussion on who might be the villain is incredibly speculative. Uh, the only things we know for sure at this point are Sam Raimi – 
Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst are signed for three films. This is the third film, so they're not contractually obligated in any way to do a fourth film. At least two of the three have kind of said that they're not that interested in doing a fourth film, but the amount of money that they're making on this means that the studio is in all likelihood going to do a fourth film, but it mostly means it's probably going to have a new director and who knows where it's going to go from there. So, so there's definitely no script involved, no director involved, no actual film involved at this point. But – Taking that into consideration, question. Yes. taking that into consideration, <laughs> let's let's talk about who Moreland is because I do think he's an interesting character. You know, could he make a good movie villain? Definitely, he's an interesting character because, and he'd be an interesting character for a movie because he uh, he's very involved with with not only Spider Man but Peter Parker because Moreland's deal is that he feeds on totems, which are in the Marvel Universe, the core power sources. And so Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man, is one of these totems. Moreland's deal is he's trying to suck this life essence out of Spider-Man. You know, it'd be different because he's not one of these established characters in the Spider-Man universe. I mean, he's, he hasn't been around since the 60s and the 70s. Right, he's relatively new. He only got created about five years ago. Exactly. He's had two appearances in the comic. No spoilers or anything, but hey, he gets killed both times. It's, uh... <laughs> Hopefully have a bit more staying power if he's the villain. What I liked is that he's he's definitely a visual character. He's essentially an energy vampire. Um, he, he feeds off the life energy of, of, of living beings, but of, of powered beings, he, he could live off even stronger. So he basically had at least three levels. He had regular people he could feed off of their energy. He had super-powered people he could feed off their energy, and it was more satisfying. But then there were these totems, like you said, that, that Spider-Man was one of where those were really, really satisfying, where those could keep him going for a long period of time. And physically, he was he was very much a match of Spider-Man, and they basically had these huge knock down drag out fights that that would last for long periods of time i believe you know the big one lasted several issues of spider-man series because he was so physically a match for him and, and peter parker really couldn't go toe-to-toe with him because in, in addition and to he the couldn't physical escape strength, either right in addition to the physical strength he was also sapping his energy at the same time his life force and that that would weaken him as well so it was a huge challenge for him Right, and he'd be an interesting character because, I mean, basically his costume is long hair and a trench coat, you know. I mean, he's definitely outside the realm of visual supervillain that you always get in superhero movies. Right, he's not colorful, but the use of him in a movie could be very spectacular with special effects of showing the effect of him sapping the energy. I mean, he's kind of along the lines of the parasite from, from Superman, but just with some style and panache. Well, it made it more menacing that he was just this kind of regular-looking kind of dapper Dracula-ish looking guy who just would show up and and just walk into Spider-Man's life and start really (laughs) totally destroying it. Yeah, and and then, like I said, Peter Parker can't escape. Apparently, another one of Moreland's powers is once he touches you, you can't ever hide from him. He right. He, he knew the energy, energy signature. Yeah. Right. Once he had t- kind of tasted your energy, he, he knew where you were and he could track you. Yeah. All, all of that was based on the comics. You know, whether he'll ever appear in a movie, who knows? I mean, I think they've got a lot more villains they could go through before they have to be going to that. I mean, he's got such a huge you know catalog of colorful villains that they could use for the movie still. And that's it for our news this week. But keep checking it out at SuperheroCinema.com every day. That's going to wrap it up for this week. If you haven't already, click on the subscribe link on our website to subscribe to the podcast or find us on iTunes by searching for Superhero Cinema. If you have any news stories, suggestions for what you want us to talk about, or any comments on the show, we'd really love to hear from you. Send us an email at podcast at superherocinema.com. You can even leave us voicemail on Skype. Our Skype name is Superhero Cinema. Thank you, Jefferson and Jonathan. 
Thank you, Michael. And thank you, Michael. And thank you to our listeners for joining us again. We hope you keep showing up for superhero cinema. We're saving the world one fan at a time. 